Welcome to another edition of First Word from First Church. This is Pastor Dave Buchanan at the First Church in Sutton. Please enjoy the message and may God bless you richly through it. Our gospel lesson today comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Need a little background to this story from Mark. First, Hebrew storytelling, and especially Hebrew poetry, is often like a sandwich. Starts with a theme and ends with a theme. My favorite psalm that you've heard me read more than once is Psalm 103, because the first line is, bless the Lord, O my soul, and the last line is, bless the Lord, O my soul. And it wraps back to the theme. This story, this combination story, begins and ends with the word authority. I'll talk a little bit about that word and, and what it meant in this context. By the way, if you continue reading from verse 29 onward, it's when Jesus goes to visit Simon's mother-in-law and she's deathly ill. And he says, get up, and she gets up and goes about the, the responsibilities of hospitality of that part of the world, healed because of the authority just sweeps out of Jesus. Now let's talk about what a synagogue is. It's not quite the same as a church, especially in Jesus' day. The animal sacrifice, the, the pilgrimages, the, the major worship and praise of God, the singing took place at the temple in Jerusalem. Of course, the temple in Jerusalem is no more. Rome has destroyed it at the wrong year. I think it was 72 or 73 AD, the last time. It hasn't been rebuilt, just that western wailing wall for prayer. So the animal sacrifice, the, the work of the Kohanes, the priests, has been suspended. I had a friend in New York City who ran an, an architecture firm. His name was Cohen, Kohane. And he said he and his family had to find honest work as architects because there's no priesthood because there's no temple. So he had to change careers. His family did. So a synagogue, synagogue, is a fancy word from synago to gather in Greek. So synagogue is a Greek word, not Hebrew. It means we gather, our gathering place. That part sounds familiar. But they didn't so much focus on, forgive me, the choir, or a hymnal, or ritual, other than there are certain prayers they share, one called the Kaddish, especially if they're in mourning. Now to pray some of these prayers, like the Kaddish, you need a minyan, 
which is a group of 10, forgive me at the time, Jewish men. So anywhere you had 10 or more Jewish families in a community, you had to build a synagogue because you had enough people to gather. If you didn't have 10 families, they had to figure out the distance they could go on the Sabbath to gather in a synagogue anyway. So the synagogue was a place of prayer, reading of the word, an exposition on that word. You had a, a president of the synagogue who saw to the business, the maintenance, and whatnot. You had another Hebrew title who was kind of the deacon who took care of the scrolls to make sure they were properly cared for and that they had a, a little thing called a yod. It's like a little silver finger so you don't run your finger under the words and get finger oil on the, on the scrolls. And she used a pointer to read. Well, I should go this way. They read right to left. It's confusing to me. So... It's a place of keeping of the scrolls, keeping of the word. They didn't have a professional rabbi. They didn't have a minister. And the president of the synagogue or the, that head deacon could call on any of the, the men in the community whom he knew to be good speakers and faithful to the, the word that was going to be read from the scroll to give commentary, kind of like an open Bible study. At least one of our members who's preached from this pulpit is looking at me like, don't look my direction. He's had to do it before. Several people won't meet my eyes now if I talk. No, I'm not going to do that today. Not today. Be warned, but not today. So anybody, and if you had the privilege of someone designated a teacher, a visiting rabbi, or a scribe, you would invite that person to come and give the commentary. And we know that when Jesus visited the synagogue in Nazareth, he famously read that part of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And he almost got thrown off a cliff for his troubles, but he got around that too. So a place of teaching, reading of the word, prayer, and an exposition on the word. A Sabbath Bible study time with the five scrolls of the Torah at a minimum, and the scrolls of the prophets. And that was a bigger investment than the house sometimes because those were all handwritten and had to be perfect. If you made a mistake, you had to burn the thing and start over for any given scroll. So that, to this day, by the way, we're still that way. So that's, a, that's a synagogue. We know the Sabbath, the sixth day. Thank God for the tradition we inherit that gives us a seven-day cycle with a day of rest in it. Picture the pagan life without weekends. Ugh. I mean, it says right in the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is for, for humanity as much as it is for God. So, visiting rabbis there. Rabbi, would you comment on the word? We don't know what the word was that week. But he's commenting, and he teaches about it, and they're all amazed. Now, the scribes were kind of the legal, I'm sorry, the religious lawyers of the day. And it was an oral tradition. Now, Kathy just finished, which means I finished, binge-watching one of those TV series about lawyers. And what do lawyers look for to make a good argument in court? They look for case law. They look for examples of what's gone before. That's kind of what the scribes did because people went to them for any decision in the community. The five books of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the law, was supposed to have in it guidance for any 
given circumstance in life. Any circumstance in life. But they didn't write down the case law. They memorized it. It was said that a scribe with a good memory was like a bucket well lined with lime because nothing could leak through. He'd retain it all. And they'd spend all their time memorizing and disputing over what the case law meant and what something that hasn't yet been identified or been addressed should be addressed out of the law. Are there any other fans of Fiddler on the Roof here? Or am I showing my age? Not many. Okay, I'm an old fart, I know. I asked a couple the other day if they'd ever heard of Fiddler on the Roof, and I said, vaguely? Oh, dear. There goes that example. <laughs> I was going to use uh, Tevia, Tevia's song with Goldo when they sing, Do You Love Me? And they had no clue. But there's another point of asking the rabbi, asking the scribe, Rabbi, is there a proper blessing for the Tsar? Remember pogroms by the Tsar and his Cossacks against the Jews. The rabbi pauses and he says, May the Lord bless and keep the Tsar far away from us. <laughs> for everything out of the Torah, there's, an, there's a blessing or a law, right? That's what the scribes teach. So when a scribe gets up to teach, he says, There is a teaching that. As the lawyer says, case law, Schmedlap versus Aloysius says, or whatever the, the case is, that's how the scribes taught. A rabbi was a scribe with a teacher's title. But when Jesus got up to speak, he didn't bother to preface it with, there is a teaching that. Or the school of rabbis so-and-so says. Or rabbinical case law tells us. Jesus simply spoke the word. Jesus is the living word. And something stirred in the hearts and minds of those who heard it. They said, this is different. They're astonished. He doesn't preface it, and yet it rings so true to God's word. This is the word from the author. Now, I got in trouble with a seminary professor adjunct professor, was a friend of mine. He also was a parishioner in Tremont at the church where I was ordained. And the dean said, you don't know what an honor that is because Doug Hare does not put up with idiots in the pulpit. So if he's coming back on Sundays, you're doing all right as a student. That heartened me, but he, I gave him license to haul me in if I went too crazy. And I took a word apart. I love words, you know that. I love taking them apart. The word for authority in Greek is exousia. Usia is your nature. The nature of being God and man, for example, in Christ. Christ is of two natures. Two usiath. I'm not sure what plural in Greek is. Exousia. Out of his very nature, he speaks with authority. Real authority. True authority. The authority of the author. Look at the root of English. He's part of the reading of the word. So when he speaks, he speaks as the author. When he speaks at exousia, he speaks out of his very essence. It's not ex cathedra from his chair. It's not ex officio from his job. It's exousia from his very nature. And as happens, evil sometimes attacks in special communities. There's a man there with an unclean spirit. Now, if this were an interactive Bible study, we could argue till the cows come home about 
what they believed about unclean spirits versus mental illness versus physical illness in that day. And this one, they recognized Jesus in a minute. I'll, I'll tell you about that. What have you to do with us? I know who you are. Jesus rebuked him, be silent and come out of him. And it did. That too was outside their experience. And here comes that word again, a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey. Needless to say, like any exciting event in the house of worship, they go home and buzzes through the whole community. I hope that happens once in a while with ours. There's something worth buzzing through the community. I don't know. Maybe we don't get enough excitement. We haven't cast out any demons on a Sunday morning yet. Not lately. But I will tell you, Jesus taught with authority. I have to say the word says. I have to say Christ teaches. I'm more like a scribe in that respect that I have to, to speak the word of God Jesus could speak it directly. I've spoken before, and some of you raise an eyebrow at me. I'm a friend of mine, she's about my age, in another, another place, another state, who sadly was brought up by Satanists. She still is a room full of personalities, but they get along better now than they used to. Sounds funny, but it's real. Among her personalities, however, were demonic presences. I won't use the word possessed because that's for colorful movies. Because in all of this, there were no heads spinning and no barfing in colors and none of the, no levitating, none of the movie stuff. But among her personalities were presences that were neither human nor good. She was oppressed, I guess is a, a better word for it. And if I tried to read scripture, and I won't say the voices get really different, but her eyes would shift and her tone of voice would change and she'd, she'd all but growl at me. If I tried to read scripture, don't say that. I don't want to hear that. And mumble over me. It took several of us, and now, lest you think I'm nuts, there were two Christian psychiatrists and a Christian psychologist confirming this. We went the mental health route to make sure because you do that, you rule that out. There was no formula. There are traditions that have these long pages of formulas involving holy water and sacred salt and particular rituals repeated over and over. Nope. Prayer by itself, nope. What delivered my friend and my, my kids dubbed her the Karens because when she called, they were never sure which one was on the phone. She likes that name, by the way. She, she jokes with it. What finally delivered these presences with very strange Canaanite names. She hadn't finished high school. She didn't know any of this stuff. So she couldn't have made it up. What finally delivered her from this presence of evil that had been forced on her life by her own family from childhood on was prayer in the name of Jesus Christ over and over again to invoke the power of Jesus Christ to bind evil. Whether it's in a place, and sadly haunting even a house of worship sometimes, whether it's in a body of people, Satan's minions are running amok, or whether it's in an individual like my friend Karen, only the power of the name of Jesus Christ, all hail the power of Jesus' name because I've watched it. I was scared silly, don't think I'm a bold exorcist or something. 
My hair was raised on the back of my head, and I still get chills talking about it. But only the power of the name of Jesus Christ, the true authority, the exousia, the very nature of God, the very authority of God, can bind that kind of evil. If we don't acknowledge and have that authority in our lives, we leave a void. For my friend Karen, someone had forced Satan into that void, or his minions anyway. If we don't have that authority, we might have the authority of a job, administrative hierarchy if we're in, in education or in government. Sometimes we have not bad authorities like the ethical standards of a profession that apply to engineers, attorneys, doctors. I can keep going, all kinds of them like that. That's okay. But those are still limited to the human mind. And if we throw the authority of Christ out of our lives, or worse, just ignore it, something else will take its place. Not only nature abhors a vacuum, so does Satan. Actually, he loves them, he fills them. He looks to fill a void. So if we don't have that authority in our lives, as a, as a household of faith, the body of Christ, dare I say, as a commonwealth, as a nation, as an ethnicity of people. Other authorities, whether it be hatred, bigotry, greed, lust, other authorities will come into its place if we don't have the nature, the exousia, the authority of Jesus Christ at our center. A new teaching, a teaching with authority. A new healing, a healing with authority. Christ's and his authority must be central, must be elevated. That's why we put his word up here. That's why I think the, the love seat up here is too wide if I have to make room for the real teacher to come up here with me. To keep Christ and his authority centered in hearts, minds, lives, and our world. Thank God for delivering to us, for giving to us that example, that authority, that kind of love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Christ the authority. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. Thank you for having joined us for First Word from First Church. We pray that God has blessed you in some way, in his way, through the message that we have just shared with you. Please join us again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen and amen.